Welcome to the More Perfect Union, a podcast that offers real debate without the hate. I'm Rebecca Kushmeider, a progressive feminist in Kensington, Maryland, joined by DJ McGuire, a conservative feminist from Suffolk, Virginia. And I'm Greg Matuzek, a common sense liberal who, if I ran for president, I would be number 26. <laughs> if, if that number doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. From Cincinnati, Ohio. And Kevin Kelton uh, was last seen downloading the new Harry Potter um, enhanced reality app. We think he is off chasing magical objects somewhere. We hope he'll be back by next week. I hope he gets um, that snitch. I hope he gets the golden snitch. Good luck, Kevin. Don't don't trespass while playing Wizards Unite. That's what the app keeps telling me. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at hashtag MPU Podcast. And you can find us on Instagram at MPU Fan Club. Um, and uh, yeah, stick with us for, for all the good times and the social media between shows. Uh, Rebecca, yes. are, are you getting paid to endorse Wizards Unite? Or are you just I'm, hoping they'll start I'm paying hoping. you? I mean, I would love J.K. Rowling to decide <laughs> that we are her preferred podcast advertising medium. Um, is, is this your new thing, like products that you hope will yes, endorse I, you? You would try to get George Stephanopoulos to endorse this last week. I did. So, I mean, and and he, he still hasn't, he hasn't <laughs> followed me on Twitter yet. yet. Joe okay. Rowling, George Stephanopoulos, any one of you can, can call us anytime. <laughs> we'll continue to... Uh, stuff for your products and services um but this has been a, a hell of a week we are we are not at war that was not uh, a guaranteed outcome as of earlier this week we have had some situations where it looked like the iranians were trying to provoke us into a war and uh trump seemed to be fairly provoked and then he stopped at the very last second dj this is kind of in your wheelhouse what the hell happened with the aborted strike there uh, the frightening thing is nobody's really sure. Uh, we've had <laughs> that's that's we, terrifying. We've, terrifying. Yeah, we've we've had con, we've had conflicting accounts, which the president has done nothing to clarify. Uh, we've heard that he had actually approved a strike against uh, against Iranian facilities. He then he then tweeted that it was against three facilities, which was they were military in, facilities. He wasn't right. looking at civilian targets. Right, three three military facilities, uh, which was a boon to uh, hostile intelligence forces. Thank you again, Mr. President. No, I don't. Not really thinking him. Uh, then <laughs> uh, apparently the apparently the voice of reason was Tucker Carlson. That's never a good thing. What? Uh, you shouldn't be calling the media to talk to them about the military strike you're about to coordinate. That's supposed to be embargoed right. until after it happens and the Pentagon puts out a release that's been well vetted. Right. Right. Uh, I, and I will actually remind everyone that as this is going on, we still did not have an a secretary of defense. We had a deputy secretary of defense who was acting secretary of defense. As of Friday, we no longer have him either. Uh, he resigned. So we have an acting secretary of defense who is an ex-secretary oh. of the army, and we don't have a deputy secretary of defense. Uh, so effectively, from what I read, the uh, the national security staff, which is John Bolton's people, very much wanted some kind of strike. The military uh, folks were 
largely going along with it, but had some concerns. And it was, in fact, the uh, civilian lawyers at the Pentagon who put together the analysis that showed the president how many possible casualties they were there were. And supposedly that was enough for him to change his mind. The problem with that is that information was given to him before he claims it was given to him. Which leads people to wonder if that actually was the information that did it. There was also, I think, something – one report, I think it was in the New York Times, that said that Trump got it into his head or that somebody told him that it was possible that the decision to shoot down an American drone uh, was made by a low-level Iranian military officer and was not approved by the high command, which led Trump to, to, to perceive that this might have been a, quote, mistake, unquote. So, yeah. It's, well, if anyone knows I mean, anything about mistakes, it's Trump. Well, yes. Right. He recognizes yeah. it. But but I would say, and I'm going to, you know, for mo- I think most of us have looked at this and go, oh, whew, there was no military strike against Iran. We got we 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 dodged a bullet. I am actually not so sure about that. Uh, we have had two tankers attacked by someone and. There are no other suspects besides the Iranian regime. Whether or not it was an Iranian military officer acting on his own or whether the regime actually backed it, Iranian forces knocked out one of our drones. Um, If it were someone with any sort of strategic – if we had someone in the White House with any sort of strategic intelligence, and we don't because we have Donald Trump. They would have looked at finding ways to strike back against the Iranians without doing anything on Iran's home territory. There are Hezbollah forces scattered and implanted all throughout Serbia. We could have easily struck against one of them and done two things at once. One, remind Iran that their actions have consequences. And two, remind the rest of the world that Iran is doing things in places well outside their own country that they should not be doing, like helping Bashar Assad kill as many Syrians as he possibly can. Now, one thing I I have, I just looked this up to confirm that that it actually happened, but Trump has approved an offensive cyber strike um, to to disable Iranian computer systems used to control rocket and missile launches. So we are doing something. It's just not physical bombing. So we're not letting them off the hook. We've decided to take a different approach. And I don't think this approach is wrong. Um, I actually would rather see some sort of multilateral set of sanctions put in place that maybe look more like the sanctions that existed prior to the Obama era Iran deal. Um, but you're right, DJ, the, the Iranian government is not our friend. They're not right. really a friend to anybody. And, and, and to piggyback on what, on what Rebecca said, because she is not wrong in the notion that inter- international cooperation would be better. And in fact, this is one of the problems with Trump walking away from the 2015 Iran deal. And I say this as somebody who heavily criticized that deal then, and I criti- I would criticize it now. It is a bad deal. It lets Iran off the hook on a number of things outside of its nuclear weapons nuclear weapons program. But the fact that as soon as Donald Trump rec- as soon as the president recognized he could not get the the he could not get his allies on board with him in terminating the deal, he should have recognized that walking away from the deal was the bad move. Had we stayed in that deal, it would have been much clearer to our allies that Iran isn't or that the Iranian regime is, in fact, the bad guys here. And it would have been much easier to coordinate an international response. We can't do that because we walked away from the one international coordination, however problematic it may have been, 
that we have ever had in regards to the Iranian regime. Yeah, you know, the theme of this week is let's make a mess and solve it and then claim that we're geniuses. And that's actually kind of Donald Trump's, like, you know, M.O. I mean, because he he walked away from the steel and... Since then, he has just been putting his his tiny little thumbs on the, on the um, Iran's uh, economy, and and they're in the they're in the crapper right now. And I'm not by no means would I ever side with Iran against the U.S. in any way. But right now, he has really made it tough in every every way for them. And now he's like, well, it looks like they're fighting back for some reason. Wow, I don't understand. Um, and I guess it was his way of saying, "Gosh, I hope they come to the to the uh, um, peace talks, or I hope they come back that's and talk whole, about." Yeah, yeah. And, but, and but this was a mess he what made. What you said in the past, DJ, about he treats everything like it's a deal to buy granite countertops, and he tries walking away from the table, hoping that they'll go back and huddle and lower their prices and continue the negotiations. Whereas in foreign relations, that's not actually how it works. The Iranians have no incentive to come back to us for a new deal and new peace talks. They'd rather just start enriching uranium again, also without the sanctions that were in place, because the rest of the world is still trying to adhere to the deal. Trump just walked away and isn't getting anything out of it. Right. And, and, bit, and, and who yeah. knows if they, if we'd walk away from a deal again? I mean, why wouldn't we walk away from We walked away from a deal before. Part of the problem here is the Trump administration's utter lack of concern uh, for human rights and democracy and decency. Because if Donald Trump was really concerned about the Iranian people, in addition to the sanctions that were in place, he would also be working with dissidents in Iran, working with uh, working with the opposition in Iran to pressure that regime to loosen itself up or, in fact, to put itself in a position – with real elections where it could be defeated. Donald Trump doesn't care about any of that. What Donald Trump – Donald Trump, again, thinks of everything as as yeah, as yeah a deal for, for granite countertops. So he is actually – ironically, he is falling for the same mistake that numerous of his predecessors made in that thinking that he can change the behavior of the Iranian regime. No one can change the behavior of the Iranian regime. The, you know, Iran, the Iranian regime long ago – uh, had a choice between whether it wanted to be a country or a cause. It chose to be a cause. So the fact of the matter is the only way that any of this gets better is if the Iranian people actually have control of their own country again. But Donald Trump doesn't care about any of that. What Donald Trump wants is some sort of deal that he can that, that he can tout Chamberlain-like and wave a piece of paper and talk about how he's brought peace in our time. And he doesn't know how to do it. He just thinks everything is like a real estate deal. Yep. So he is he is he is instituting an incorrect policy and he's doing it in an incorrect manner other than that is perfect for those for for those listeners let me let me interrupt for those listeners who don't get dj's reference for chamberlain he's talking about wilt chamberlain who was very tall and would wave (laughs) papers very tall and so that yes if we were if we were in the same room i would pour the beer i'm holding over your head right now Well, speaking of people who are mangling history, we uh, have Joe Biden uh, trying to make some speeches and talk about his relationships with past segregationist senators and 
how they did and didn't call him different things. And uh, although Kevin's not here, he has some strong feelings on it. And uh, we're going to roll some tape on Kevin Kelton weighing in on this. Hi, this is Kevin, and I am on vacation in beautiful Steamboat Springs, Colorado, where it's actually snowing in June. But I wanted to take a moment of time away from my vacation to address the issue that I know my compatriots here will be talking about in this episode, which, of course, is the flap between Joe Biden and many of his Democratic primary uh, contestants about what he said about Senators James Eastland and Herman Talmadge and how he talked about working across the aisle and did run afoul of some people for comments that they took to be insensitive because those two gentlemen happened to have been racists. I think I know my compatriots here well enough to be able to say, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be the lone voice of support for Joe Biden and against the people who have criticized him. Personally, I think that this is a big to-do about nothing. I think this is more of an example of candidates who are dying in the polls and know that they've got to do something big to try to score points in South Carolina and bring up their poll numbers before their candidacies die in the crib. And they're using this as, as a cudgel to beat up Joe Biden and try to score some points, and especially Cory Booker, who I really am upset at uh, this week, and he's lost a lot of respect in my book. The big issue that they made a whole to-do out of was that Biden hearkening back to his relationship with these two giants of the Senate when he was just a young senator, Eastland would call him son, not boy. And they took that to mean that he didn't understand that Eastland only used the word boy for African-Americans and that he called Joe son because he was a white man. Well, that's not what Joe was saying. He was saying that Eastland had a habit of calling all young people, including white senators, boy. And he even did that to to Teddy Kennedy. He said, or Joe's point was, that Eastland would call him son in a demeaning way to say, you're too young to even be a senator. Nobody is, is saying that James Eastland should be given a medal for that. Obviously, he was a big asshole of his time, and he and Herman Talmadge were indeed segregationists. But it is the job of a U.S. senator to work with people across the aisle, no matter who they are. And uh, if you're going to throw Joe under the bus for working with guys like James Eastland and Herman Talmadge, well, then you might as well throw Teddy Kennedy under the bus and then Senator Walter Mondale under the bus and lots of men who we would consider great liberal senators who did work across the aisle with the other people who were in the Senate because you don't get to choose the senators that you have to work with. You work with the people who are elected. That's your job as a U.S. senator. Now, if you watched the speeches that were made in South Carolina yesterday, most of the candidates were there, and I happened to catch Cory Booker's speech. Now, again, Booker made a big flap out of the, the, the fact that Biden used the word boy. Well, Cory Booker starts his speech to a predominantly black audience in South Carolina, and he starts telling an anecdote about when he was a young politician, I believe a first-term mayor in Newark, and he's talking to a constituent, and 
telling this this woman his hopes and dreams, and she interrupts. And this is at about one minute or a little over one minute into his speech. So you can go find this on Google and find this for yourself. He's telling this anecdote, and he says, and I said this, and she said to me, boy, you better learn something real quick. Well, then he goes on to this, this story. He used the word boy himself. Now, some people will say, well, he's an African-American. He could do that. I'm not sure that we should be, you know, splitting hairs this way. Some people will say, well, maybe the person who he was talking to in the story was another African-American, and that changes the context. Well, first of all, he didn't say that. You can infer it, but he didn't say that. So he was using the exact story that someone talking to him referred to him as boy. He did the same thing as Joe, and yet no one in the media caught that. But they're still talking on every Sunday show, and they will be talking for the next week about the big racial flap for Joe Biden. Look, let's get real. Joe Biden has a lot of faults as a candidate, and he may not be the person to carry the mantle against Donald Trump in 2020. But whatever his faults are, let's get rid of this nonsense that Joe Biden has some kind of untapped racial animus. This is ridiculous. Why do we do this to our candidates? Joe Biden is about as decent, about as liberal, about as open-hearted, and about as non-prejudiced a man as has ever been in the Senate. He was a two-term vice president to the first black president. Why do we do this? Why do we eat our young? They did this to Hillary. You know, she once got kissed by Robert Byrd. That became a big flap you know, in the 2016 campaign because, oh, Robert Byrd was once in the KKK. And it's true, he was, although he had renounced that by that time. Why are we doing this to our people? Joe Biden may be the nominee of our party. I implore you, please do not continue to eat our own children. This is what Donald Trump wants. This is playing into the GOP hands. These attacks that are happening now will come back to haunt us in the general election. And that is why I believe we should stop. And it's not a question of Joe Biden. We should stop doing this to all politicians. This thing about demanding apologies, it's bullshit. Who is anyone to demand an apology? I wouldn't demand an apology from Cory Booker. Who is any of us to demand apologies from Joe Biden for telling a story about his relationships in the Senate? So I know I've gone on very long, but I wanted to get my point into the show. I'm sure you guys will tell me, tell the listeners, I should say, why I'm wrong, but I wanted to just at least get that off my chest. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great week, a great show. Go Democrats in that debate. I'm rooting for all of you. All right. So, guys, now that Kevin's had his say, and uh, thank God that's over with. (laughs) (laughs) He's had his say, and he can't fight back. Um, Do you want to tell him he's wrong, Deej? No. I, I I do want to say he is wrong, but I don't I I don't think it's for the reason that he recognizes, which is fair because it's also for the reason that Joe Biden doesn't recognize. Now let, let let's think about this. Okay, you are Joe Biden. You are trying to show to two voters that you are someone who can fix our broken governance system, that you are someone who can reach across the aisle, as it were, to advance the interests of America, even if you have to work with people you disagree. You have several options and ways to present this. One, 
how as vice president you were part of an administration that worked with John Boehner and Mitch McConnell. Yes, folks, that Mitch McConnell to enact trade promotion authority to give the president greater ability to conduct uh, trade deals and enact trade liberalization. You could go back to the 1990s and talk about how Bill Clinton worked with his chief impeachment tormentor, Newt Gingrich, and his 1996 opponent, Bob Dole, to enact either tax reform in the case of Gingrich or trade liberalization policies, NAFTA, General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, that was with Gingrich and Dole, in the 1990s. But no, you choose to leave all of that behind and go all the way back to the 1970s to two segregationist Democrats, one of whom left office before the first, the oldest millennial even crawled on this earth, and the other was a senator from Jimmy Carter's home state who lost his seat in the Reagan landslide of 1980. <laughs> that's, that's pretty bad. <laughs> but put aside the insensitivity, and dear God, it was tone-deaf and sensitive of Biden to, to, to mention those two, no matter what Kevin thinks about it. It is just unbelievably stupid to reach back that far and reach over numerous other examples. And it tells you something about Joe Biden's campaign strategy and what Joe Biden thinks are the swing voters out there. And unfortunately, his view of the swing vote is the same version as Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders' version of the swing vote, and they're all wrong. They all assume the swing vote are the Obama 12 voters who moved over to Trump. They're not swing voters. They're converts. They're never coming back. Right. Bob Dole tried to win over the, the, the Bush-Clinton converts in 1992. He lost 30 states. Walter Mondale tried to win over the Reagan Democrats in 1994. He lost 49 states. Right. The fact of the matter is the swing voters in 2020, the swing voters next year are the same ones as swing voters last year. Suburban, college-educated, a good deal younger than, than, than Joe Biden is, and far more willing to look at candidates who move rightward or centerward on economic and international issues than on social issues. Joe Biden's example was the absolute worst way to appeal to the actual swing voters in 2020. And for whatever reason, Joe Biden and apparently Kevin Kelton do not understand (laughs) that. Greg, do you have any thoughts on the matter? Yeah, I do, actually. So we've been talking about – what's that guy's name? Because we mention him a lot on this podcast. Oh, Trump. Yeah, so we talk about Trump a lot. And one of the things we we talk about is the fact that we can't really – as a president, it's not really what he says – it's what he means. It's what he says, not what he means. Right. And I have this discussion with my family all the time. Did you see where he wrote Hamburger? Well, you knew what he meant. Right. And a lot of the things he writes on Twitter and a lot of the garbage that comes out of his mouth. And I'll say, look, right here, he says he wants to enslave humanity and have us for dinner. And and they say, no, he wants to serve mankind and things like that. <laughs> for dinner. F- for dinner, right. You just have to dust <laughs> off the rest of the book. Um, so, and that's the thing. We are at the point, are we looking at the exact words or are we looking at the meaning behind the words? And and I, I, it really gets tiresome sometimes to have to think that we always have to try to to judge the meaning behind and we can't just take words at face value anymore and i know that some people really love the word itself and as democrats we are now at the point where 
every single comma and hyphen and every E is sacred. And we are holding ourselves to this really high standard because we've been doing it for the past three years. You know, we are now ordering hamburgers um, because it's ridiculous. And But that's the problem. We all knew what Joe Biden was talking about, okay? And did he say it in a really bad way? Yes. Was it clumsy? Yes. Was it probably the incorrect way? Yes. But what he was trying to say was that he could work with the other side, just like DJ. Did he say it poorly? Yes, but we knew what he meant. And does he get a free pass? No, because we're Democrats. Well, but... a little context around the story. He has apparently told that anecdote before, and in this telling, he flubbed the line. He, what he meant to say was, he never called me senator. He always called me son, and it was to show mutual affection. It wasn't to somehow delineate how the segregationist treated a white senator versus how he would have treated a person of color. So, so Biden is is guilty of tone deafness and also forgetting his lines, which you know, from a theatrical standpoint, is pretty pretty unforgivable to say i will to say this that i i have long anticipated that when my preferred candidate congressman john delaney withdraws from the race because i i I, i'm a realist i know at some point that will probably happen it'll probably happen before the year is out oh yeah he'll have Uh, to go back to his job as a shoe sales he sells shoes right no he was a former congressman (laughs) oh i I keep forgetting what he does i i I have always assumed that my, that my light that the likely alternative by that point would be former Vice President Biden because I I don't expect that that Beto O'Rourke would survive that long either and I'm not sure about uh, about Mayor uh, Buttigieg, but Joe Biden continually makes it easier for me to continue to support John Delaney because I can look and go yeah John Delaney is the moderate who doesn't eat his foot all the time. <laughs> well, you know, you now have another choice in the. 2020 campaign for the Democratic nomination. Re- former Representative Joe Sestak has jumped in that he makes it number 2,576. Oh, and uh, it, it, this is, I cannot understand this timing or why he's doing it at all. I do have a friend who lives in his district and speaks extremely highly of him, says he was a terrific and very responsive member of Congress and she's campaigned for him and really likes him. Other than that, I don't know much about the guy, but his daughter is awesome. Yes, his daughter speaks for all of us. <laughs> Did you see the photograph, Greg? His announcement no. photo. His daughter's about maybe nine or ten years old, and she's standing there with just this dead-eyed stare. Like, I can't believe they're making me do this right now. I can't oh. believe my dad is doing this thing. Oh my gosh! You know, but uh, it was this... absolutely fantastic. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. I can't believe. Oh it. yeah, but we'll yeah, put, it, right. up we'll, we'll yes, put it, it up on our Instagram. Yeah, put it up on our Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so there's no chance of him making the debate. I, I can't imagine he's got much of a donor base to tap into coming out of nowhere like that. I mean, he's he's been out of office for a few years. Um, I, you know, is he running for a cabinet post? Does he have a book to sell? Uh, did anybody have any idea why Sestak's getting in this? Uh, maybe he maybe his maybe he's bored at home and his wife is like, hey, hey, go run for president. And he's like, OK, <laughs> uh, Maybe his doctor was like, you know, you need a hobby, you know, and have you thought about running for president? Um, and he's like, Everybody's no. Everybody's doing it. Right. It's, it seems like a, a cool thing. Maybe it was a dare. Maybe they were like, I dare you to run for president. Um, perhaps he lost a bet. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, could there be. could be 
could be maybe read a fortune cookie that said, you know, you know, your lucky number is four, five, seven, nine, and you will run for president. I mean, geez. Could oh, you like know who any... else is running for president is who Donald else? Trump. He, oh, oh, yeah. he kicked that guy. Have you heard of him? I've heard of him. He kickstarted his campaign this week with a big old rally in Orlando. Florida. And, uh, he got up there and told some lies. Did, did, did anyone oh, watch this? Boy, did he. Greg, did, did anyone you watch, watch the rally? I did. You did? Well, I, once what, again. What was your I'm... favorite lie? Um... Uh, I guess the one that actually I, I was the we'll, we'll talk about this. I think I think this is on the dock, and if not, then I'll cut it out. Um, <laughs> the one where he's got like we're going to start uh we're going to start rounding up uh illegals like tomorrow, like it's coming or in two weeks. That like, was a tweet. That was not in the rally. That was a tweet. that wasn't. I could have swore it was. No, he did say something about it in the rally. It wasn't in a tweet. It, he said it like we're going to start rounding them up. It may be both. Yeah, quite, quite it, possible. Quite, quite possibly. possibly. I mean, he 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 dumped he dumped a lot of lies out there. A, a, and, yeah, it was a lot of word salad, and none of it made sense. It was like a it was like a gummy gummy worm salad. Not it wasn't good for you. <laughs> it was it, it it was a lie salad, which is a particular type of word salad. Kind of like Caesar's is a particular type of salad. This was yes. a lie salad. Yeah, yeah, and he just kept talking, and it was it was a lot like his 2016 or 2015 rallies. I mean, he just kept saying the same thing. He said, "I I don't even I think he even said lock her up at one point." Yeah, does um, he think he's running against Hillary Clinton again? Probably. He's hoping, he's hoping so. Yeah, he'd really like that. I yeah. mean, if nothing if nothing else, that that rally did confirm my theory about how the zombie apocalypse begins. It begins after Hillary Clinton dies and Republicans desperate to use her as a foil try to reanimate the corpse. Doesn't sound uh, unlikely. I heard it, a rumor that outside yeah. of Trump rallies, the reasons it looks like there are such long lines all the time is because they only let people in a few at a time so that there are constant lines right up until the beginning of the event starting. And it, it's not that there are actually gazillions of people dying to get in it's just that they don't let the people who do want to get in 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 a timely manner and it says something about the trump and proletariat that most of those people who are involved in that probably go along with it because in their mind the 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 image the lie that supports trump is more important than the truth that denigrates him well i mean you've got to admit it's good advance work okay common sense common sense guy here Okay, I, I've gone to a common lot sense of these. Where I don't see him. Uh, common sense liberal, <laughs> common sense liberal here. Oh, I've dude. gone to a he, lot. He just got you back for the Wilt Chamberlain thing, there, Greg. <laughs> the Wilt Chamberlain line is my favorite line of the night. Um, <laughs> I've gone to a lot of these presidential rallies. I mean, more than I care to admit. And there's lines at every one of those things. I mean, if if the Secret Service is there, the Secret Service. Um, you know what? What uh, they are good, but they are not quick. They are thorough. Um, trust me, you are not going in in a timely manner. And God bless those fellows because they get the job done. And by the way, no sense of humor whatsoever. Um, every time I've ever dealt with them, fine gentlemen, but no sense of humor. Um, and they shouldn't, but they are not going to get rush you along because you need front row seats. You will I was, get there when I you get there. At, 
the congressional women's softball game this week and Nancy Pelosi was there. So of course I rushed over to, to where she, like she was sitting at a table behind a microphone. <laughs> you you wanted I'm, her to sign a knife or something yeah, and you were running exactly at her. That. So like I went over there with my, and I my, my cell phone camera up and I'm trying to get a good picture of her. Her secret service guy was giving me a stink. I'm a 45 year old mother from the suburbs and he hated me for being there with a camera phone. I can't imagine how it would have felt to like be somebody even vaguely threatening in that position. Right, right. Right. It's, uh, it is not, they, they will, and if you don't see them quickly, you will. They make their presence known, except for the ones that they don't want to be known. Yeah, no. I, those lines are for real. Four agents on her. Four. Yeah, probably. I believe it. Yeah. There's a lot of crazy people. There's a lot of crazy people in this room right now. Yeah, and we're not even in the same room, any of us. We're exactly. Oh, crap. Just... So one of the things that Trump did not address in his Orlando rally is uh, new allegations coming out against him by um, the journalist and writer Eugene Carroll, uh, best known for the Ask Eugene column in Elle magazine. And, you know, she's been sort of a, a person about town in New York City for a very long time as well. And she has a new memoir coming out, which includes a chapter on the 21 worst men she's ever encountered. And on that list is Donald Trump, who she accuses of sexually assaulting her in a department store in New York in about 1995 or 1996. He is now claiming he has never met her, despite photographic evidence of him being at a party with her. So uh, do, do you guys have anything to say other than uh, wordless screams of rage? Okay. I have, as, uh, okay. Go on. I, I have a broader, a broader question and it is a question for Rebecca. There is a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is of course you, you, you feel for someone, but you do not directly understand their experience for whatever reason. Empathy is, Effectively, I know what that person has been through. So, Rebecca, if you wouldn't mind enlightening the rest of us, including the listeners, well, including the male, including the listeners who identify as men, how much of Gene Carroll's story do you sympathize with, and how much do you empathize with? The Trump anecdote in particular, or the whole article where she details a number of encounters? The, the whole article. This is broader than just Trump right now. Um, I empathize with a great deal of it. You know, the, the specifics are different, and she mm-hmm. traveled in circles that are extremely different than circles I've traveled in, which means that she's dealing with people whose habits and social mores are different than the people that I know. But the... It is not possible to move through the world in a female body, in a female appearing body, without feeling vulnerable to attack by men, sexual attack by men. So the fact that she has been subject to sexual attack by men is utterly unsurprising. It is heartbreaking, but it's not, it, it doesn't come as a shock. It's just, it, it's just. Alexandra Petrie wrote about it, uh, have this feeling of exhaustion at, during the Christine Blasey Ford uh, situation. And it just, you know, hearing it all over again and knowing how it's going to play out, that a person finally, finally, finally has the courage to say something. And uh, Jean Carroll admits that she didn't say anything for years because she was a coward and she just didn't want to face the terrible things people would say about her. And that's her right. You don't, you're, no, nobody's obligated to share their story. But, you know, watching this play out again 
and her be called a liar again by this man who is a liar. And it, it's just, it. I'm tired on her behalf and I'm sad on her behalf. And well, I can't empathize 100%. I can sympathize 100%. Mm. And it's, it, it's just, this is what it's like, guys. It, this is what it's like. And I think this is something that, and frankly, as, as men, we, because one, we're idiots, and two, we're self-absorbed, this is something that we will routinely fail to understand until we hear more and more and more of these stories, until at, at, at some point they break through, and at some point we become, or at least I hope we do. Um, but there is just so much that this affects in ways that even the victims themselves probably don't quite see, not that they have to worry about that. They have bigger things to concern themselves with, and that's understandable. Uh, but I... I mean, I've, I've, I've mentioned this metaphor before, and I butchered it then, and I'm probably going to butcher it now. But there are so many awkward boys who are growing up and who are thinking to themselves, oh, look at those guys who are, those guys who are so suave. They get all the women, and we don't, and I don't understand why. Hey, awkward boys, if you're listening on this podcast, listen to me. Those guys are not suave and you're not. That's not the problem. The problem is those guys are assaulting women and you're not. That's what's so, really happening. Yes, and here. continue to not assault women, awkward guys. I promise you you're going to meet an awkward girl or another awkward guy someday, and it's all going to click. You just have to be a little bit patient. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, it, all three of all of us are married. Some right. of us multiple times. We've found multiple partners, and we are awkward, dorky, strange people. Right. So it's it, – and it's – Wait, I'm not I, suave? No, you are, Greg. You're totally suave. Never mind. Yes. We, we weren't talking about you. In any event, um, Gre- Greg's self-esteem aside, um, <laughs> and you know, I, I and I know this is and it, it's gonna it's gonna sound derivative. It's it's gonna itself sound self-absorbed because I'm more talking about how this affects men than about how this obviously affects women who are terrified and for damn good reason. But I honestly think for a lot of a, a lot of us as men as guys, if we rec- if we were to recognize, wait a minute. They're not smooth. They're assaulters. Wait a minute. I'm not the problem. They are. I suspect and I would I would just hope that that would at least help those of us on the male side of the spectrum recognize that, no, we don't have to define ourselves by how many women we can bang, because usually for the most part, most of them didn't want to be banged by us in the first place. It's we don't have to define ourselves by how smooth we are with all of the women of the world, but whether or not we can find a decent, whether or not we can treat one decently enough that they can love us as we love them. These are the kinds of things that are being thoroughly that are being thoroughly uh, beschmuckled because there are so many situations where men are behaving badly and are getting away with it. So I appreciate Jean Carroll coming forward, not just because it, it, it helps women strengthen their resolve to resist and fight this kind of thing, because that is important and that is critical. But also, secondarily, it frankly helps those of us who – it helps men who do not assault recognize that the men who do assault should not be admired. They should be pilloried, and they should be ostracized. But that's Good just hair. me. 
And here, as here. an addendum, stories like this, particularly when she details uh, some of the other situations that weren't quite as cut and dried, she is broadening the definition of what is assault. Yeah. What? Yeah, because there are things that I think many young men are never taught are assault, and they are surprised to find that what they do is unwelcome and considered hostile by other people. And it is worthwhile to sit down and talk with your children. If you're a parent, talk with teens. If you're a mentor, talk with other adults about what and is and is not assault. What is and is not acceptable contact between people. You know, for me, it was um, just a sheer bravery. Um, and you, you touched on this earlier of her coming and telling her story. And I know it's been, you know, 20 years later. But, you know, actions like this, you know, up upturn someone's life, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes. And not always. And whether it's a day after or 20 years after, and you look at Dr. Ford's life, you know, and, you know, I had to deal with dealing with people saying like, oh, look at all the money she made off that. Which what was money? Re- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you would you would hear this on the Fox News like, "Oh, you know she's getting rich off this." No. No one, you know, her notoriety and how she has her life has changed. She did not make <laughs> yeah. money. She didn't get off rich this. off this. She did she got, not get rich yeah. this. Yeah. And, and she got death threats, but unlike Brett Kavanaugh, she didn't get a security detail to go with them. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I have a feeling the same thing is going on here. Um, this is not to sell books. She is nobody would do that. That's that would be a monster. Yeah, you know? and and she, you know, in my history of reading her columns of knowing who she is, she's never seemed like a monster. She seemed like a person who genuinely wanted to use humor and wit and a spirit of adventure to make everybody's life better. If you go back and read her archives dating back decades she's entertaining and funny and whip smart and just a really enjoyable person to read there's there's nothing despicable about her that i've known of in the time i've followed her right right i think i think that's that's really incredulous to say about someone that they would come forward with accusations like this just to make money or i mean right. what it and would also, do she doesn't need to make money well, right, but what it, or or for fame or for notoriety, but what it would do to other the damage it would cause women who have gone through real pain would be just yeah, and that like would I be, said, monstrous. Right, and it's completely out of character for, exactly. for who I know her to be. Exactly, um, I can't even I can't even imagine someone doing it just to say, well, you know the the strategy of you know the calculating nature of someone doing that would be beyond my depth. Now that we've thoroughly covered that topic um, again, and someday maybe we will have the luxury of not discussing it, we can move on to other crimes against humanity. 
um, in the form of Donald Trump's immigration policy. We've got people still detained. Uh, we've got Trump delaying planned roundups in 10 cities. He's he's put that on hold for two weeks. And, uh, you know, the, the conditions at existing camps are terrible. So... What do we think, Greg? Greg, what? Do, what? Do you, let's let's. I'm going to ask you the gotcha question: Are they concentration camps like AOC said they are, or would you classify them as something else? They're, you know, yeah, they're they're concentration camps. I mean, now I am not of Jewish heritage. Um, that word probably means has a lot different context to me. They're not death camps. Uh, obviously, but yeah, well, <laughs> they're, they're, these are people <laughs> to the, being to the people who've died there. They were that's true. That's true. But these people are being held with, according with, to the New Yorker, they're lice camps now. Oh, oh goodness, yeah. But th- they're being held with no jury, no trial. Um, you know, yeah, and sometimes no adult supervision. So yeah, these are terrible. Um, and the fact that we're doing this in America just frightens the hell out of me. But we're so, doing this in America again. Again, yeah. To to be to to be precise, yes. Uh, there are there are actually immigration trials for for all of these people. The trials are ridiculously delayed because there are so many of them, and we have not bothered to uh, to create the judgeships necessary to to handle them. Uh, the they are in. The, these detention centers, and yes, I'm being decidedly euphemistic in describing them that way, because the Trump administration has moved away from what the Obama administration uh, decided upon, which was to allow these folks to walk freely in the United States using ankle monitors so that they can be tracked, which ensured that over 90 of them, 90% of them actually showed up for the asylum hearings uh, when they came around. Uh, and they they are there not because of you know we want to we want to make sure that we are precise in our criticism here because the criticism is most societally warranted ken white who's known as popat on twitter has an, an excellent discussion of this problem in an article in the atlantic where he talks about some of the existing policies that have been in place that led us to this the one thing he did not include because it was a more broad-based criticism was the fact that what Donald Trump did that made this different was that he effectively said, we are not going to allow these people outside uh, into the United States at all. We're not going to do the ankle monitor thing. We are going to uh, imprison them until their trial arrives. That is what is different. That is what is, frankly, inhumane. And that is what has led to the horrific conditions uh, that we are seeing here. Uh, I would advise anybody who's listening to read the New Yorker story on what these camps uh, have become uh, and what they were. And I would remind them of the Adam Server line from last year. The cruelty is the point. Rick Wilson uses the cruelty is the mission. But the whole point is to make the first few hours, days, and months that these people spend in America to be so utterly unbearable that folks from Central America will no longer want to come to this country. It is barbaric. It is sickening. It is counterintuitive, and it is horrifically Malthusian. But that's what this is about. So it's not about the fact that there are kids in cages. Yes, there were some kids in cages during the Obama administration and previous administrations. It's a fact that 
there are kids in cages when they don't need to be in cages. It's a fact that there are kids crammed into cages that would not work for anybody even if they were prison cells because the Trump administration doesn't want any of them to see the light of day. It is the fact that they are designed to be as horrific, as inhumane as possible to prevent other people from coming to this country. That is the problem here. The cruelty is the point. The cruelty is the mission. Here, here. And, uh, and it's, it, it's, it's an abominable situation. We, we have separated families. We are warehousing them in conditions that are not fit for human occupation. We are having arguments in court over whether or not the conditions can be considered sanitary if we don't provide them with soap. Yeah, did they're you trying, see that? Yeah, they're trying to argue that soap should not be a requirement there. You know, OSHA would shut down any workplace that didn't have soap in the bathrooms. And here we're, yeah, I mean, we're basically trying to create death camps by virtue of allowing disease to proliferate in them and then say it wasn't on purpose. It's, you know, it's smallpox blankets right now. Yeah. And, I, and, and I feel helpless about it. You know, I keep thinking, well, what can I do? I, I don't know what I can do. There's very little to do right now. Starting right now, actually, my member of Congress is speaking at an at a immigration solidarity rally. So he's on board. He's trying, but he's just one guy. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a really terrible feeling to be watching these abuses happen. All right. And with that, we have some big events coming up in the next week. The two Democratic debates. We've got 10 people taking the stage on Wednesday and 10 more on, I think, Friday. Does that sound right? Yeah. Thursday. Thursday, Thursday and, Tuesday, uh, Thursday, and everybody can watch it on on not not ABC. It's it's NBC. Greg George Stephanopoulos will not be sponsoring us for that one. Ah, and uh, so, wh- what do you expect? Who do you think will be the breakout stars of the debates? Okay, for the record, as DJ, always, you go first. Uh, DJ, you go first. I'll let Greg go first. Oh, okay. So, for those of you who would like one, I always live tweet. My uh, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, go right ahead. Two, I will be making uh, debate nachos, so I will be also mm-hmm. tweeting tweeting my debate nacho recipe, which is pretty easy. But you have and, to follow me on Twitter. Greg? Uh, what is your Twitter, Greg? I think handle? it's I think it's G Matuzak. I think it Ooh, might just yeah. I think it's 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 super easy. <laughs> just search for Greg Matuzak. Um, but three, I think the first night it's going to be Elizabeth, Elizabeth the Lion Warren. I mean, I think she is going to be just beating everyone down. And every time someone says something wrong, it's going to be, excuse me, that's Miss Warren if you're nasty. She will be crushing people left and right. And the best part is she's going to be calling everyone by their wrong name because everyone else is forgettable. What about ter- the Thursday night debate? Who do you think is going to run away with that's that the, one? That's the rumble that that everyone – that's the big names. Um, I think uh, Bernie is going to try to be the loudest. But every, once he says something, he's going to say something just completely outrageous. And everyone's ready for it this time. Like, uh, I think free free college for everybody born on a day with an R in it. And everyone's just going to look at him and say, like, No. That's not going to work, and here's why. They're going to have numbers, and they're going to be ready for him this year. Last year, no one was prepared for some of the antics he did, and he's going, and they're just going to shut him 
down. Biden's not going. Biden will do his. Yep. Uh huh. And he'll be super friendly and chill with him. Uh, who else? Camilla will come at him like a spider monkey. He will not be ready for any of that. All right, DJ, who do you think? Who's your first night pick and your second night pick? Uh, well, my heart says that the first night breakout will be Congressman John Delaney because I really want him to be. <laughs> because uh, you have a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, Hope that's true. eternal, folks. But, you know, I, re- I remember when the, the Republicans in 2016 did this sort of two-night deal and uh, Carly Fiorina was, on, was a, debated on the first night. She made an impression and she ended up uh, moving herself up to the upper tier for a bit. Yeah. Um, it didn't really particularly last very long. No. So I think, I, I think whoever whoever actually is the 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 breakout star of of Tuesday's debate is not is not going to be someone who who will end up lasting very long anyway. Uh, the only way the only way Elizabeth Warren has a bad night is if she actually genuinely stumbles, which she might do because she's not really as good a candidate as people think she is, or at least she hasn't been. Maybe maybe she's improved. Uh, as for the second one, it is all going to be a matter of how often does Biden eat his foot? So long as he avoids eating his foot, nobody's going to care. Um, Bernie is going to try to to knock him off stride, uh, and the other eight are pretty much – are largely going to be irrelevant. Uh, and that's nothing against any of them, but it will all be about uh, Bernie versus Biden. The reality is there are only three candidates for president who matter right now? It's Joe Biden on the Democratic side. It's Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders. Biden hasn't stumbled enough for anyone else to really get in a position to challenge him for the moderate lane. And Warren is very adroitly challenging Sanders for the liberal lane. That's really the story, and that's going to remain the story after the debates are over, I think. And I think that the winner of all the debates is going to be Joe Sestak's little daughter. <laughs> yeah, she's already won. <laughs> she's, she's a winner in our heart. Yeah. So I, with that, we come to the close of another More Perfect Union. Well, thank you all for listening. If you enjoy what we do here, please check out our website, mpupodcast.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash moreperfectunionpodcast. And you can share our link so that all of your friends can discover the joy that is us every week. Um, if you'd like to join our political debate between shows, join us in our Facebook group, Open Fire Politics. We are all there. We'd love to see you, too. If you'd rather come talk with me about books, you can come to Open Fire Entertainment, Books, Movies, and Music. If you would rather talk about food, there's an open fire for that. And all of that. And so, Greg, what are you going to be up to this week besides making debate nachos? I'm going I'm going to be pining away for Kevin's return. Uh, you know, getting the, getting the uh, throne ready for him to return so I can stop editing poorly and uh, <laughs> you know stuff like that and getting all my ingredients ready for to pay nachos now I want nachos yeah so do I I might make some tonight in oh, preparation okay. make sure I don't yeah. screw up the recipe yeah.